Right. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the equation, dude. Papers plus Eureka divided by throwing equals space love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 328 with a review of Interstellar. I'm Christopher Schneezy. <coughs> I'm Carson Patrick. <laughs> and I'm Stephen Miller. Getting that, getting that dust out of my throat. Oh, uh, well. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, we have been in a holding pattern around a black hole wasting time as you guys try to catch up to when this episode is finally released so you can hear our thoughts on the uh crazy movie that is interstellar um well you guys had to wait 23 years for mm-hmm. me to, yeah yeah, to come yeah back, true so steven and i have just been like we've been sitting <laughs> steven and i are still sitting in the credits for the movie you guys yeah. are still recording for big hero six just on a loop <laughs> Like, well, how many how many ways can we say we like this movie? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, how are you guys doing this evening? Uh, pretty well, I guess. I'm, I'm doing good. As I told you already, I'm doing my habitual opening a beer for an evening recording. Spilled it everywhere. So I'm getting a little bit into the gravity spirit here. <laughs> I got to watch uh, things explode that weren't meant to explode. <laughs> Uh, I thought you were going to say you're deep in a mess. Steven yeah, was already wasted as hell before I'm he opened just it. just wasted. <laughs> he can just hide uh, it really well. He's like he's like Denzel, mm-hmm. you know, in flight. So he had his... <laughs> I'm he not got sure. Really, he got really wasted and then did a lot of coke, and now we don't know if he's drunk or not. I'm, I'm not sure at any point in the movie Flight that he was uh, covering very well at all. <laughs> Uh, well, I think better than all of us, I would I, say. I think the key was that he was sleeping with the one person that was paying attention that could have told on him. <laughs> now, here's a question. If Denzel was the pilot in this movie, better or worse? I would say better. <laughs> uh, I, I would say it would not have been all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I would have enjoyed it. Uh, they sure. would have never made it to the wormhole to begin with. <laughs> no. Well, he would have had to roll it to get in there. So, I, I, I just want I just want to see the scene where uh, Denzel Washington is sitting in his trailer, holding the script. Somebody walks in. He's like, "You see this right here? This right here is ninety nine percent bullshit. That's why I read it because I like it." <laughs> don't don't bullshit a bullshitter. Yes. <laughs> All I know is King Kong ain't got nothing on Gargantua. T- totally, dude. <laughs> he ain't got shit on Gargantua. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, should we uh, should we start this episode off by walk- going around and letting each other know how we viewed the film and whether or not we encountered some of these audio issues that people have been talking about all over the internets? Sure. So, Carson, what did you see it on? Uh, I saw it in IMAX, um, 70 millimeter, uh, the first first time. And, uh, and then I went and saw it again in regular 35. Um, so the first, the first uh, screening of this in IMAX, I went to the Chinese theater down the street. Um, it's the first time I've been since they made it into an IMAX screen. Yeah. So uh, it's actually really cool because they converted it from 
non-stadium seating to stadium seating, um, but they kept everything pretty much intact. And the screen is ginormous. It's, it's gargantuan. It's gargantuan. It's apparently <laughs> the third largest IMAX screen in the country, so um, huh. it's pr- it's pretty big. Um, and um, yeah, it was funny because like right before I went down there, there was an article on Slash Film talking about how um, it was mostly Jermaine talking about how he had seen it the night before at the Chinese IMAX. And there was, you know, major audio problems. So I was like, well, this is going to be fun since I already bought my ticket and everything. Um, yeah, and there's no way to use gravity to go back in time. No, and, like, I can't. Prevent yeah. you from no, I can't go back through the wormhole. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, there's definitely um, uh, there's there were definitely some audio uh, hiccups, um, but. I didn't think it detracted from my experience. Like it just was so loud. Like they're like this the first scene or the scene where they shoot off into space for the first time um, is so loud that I couldn't hear any of the dialogue. Um, and there's just instances like that where um, it would just everything would overpower it. Um, and that may have been for better or for worse. Um, I guess we'll find out. But yeah, definitely there were definitely some. Uh, some audio things. And then when I saw it again in regular 35, uh, it was still really loud, um, but I could hear the stuff that I missed. So that was, that was good, I guess. But I mean, if you go to see it, you should absolutely see it in IMAX 70 millimeter, because that's the way it was meant to be seen. Um, and it was weird because like the, the guy who comes out to, uh, to introduce the movie is all like, Oh, Christopher Nolan sat in this very theater from every vantage point to check the sound. And it was like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, was he wearing earplugs? Like, I don't, like, what? Like, that's so weird, but well, I... He, he was just checking the sound. He wasn't going to do anything about the problems. Yeah. No, because, I, I mean, he did say, and I think, I think some of it is deliberate because, you know, Nolan likes to go for the realism and he wanted it to, to have it be extra loud in certain scenes. But where I think it went wrong was that the audio was just, I don't know, like the the levels or something was off and it was skewing things because i asked steven and he said you did you didn't have a problem steven so yeah no so i also saw it in uh, 70 millimeter imax up here at the metreon in san francisco and uh i, I mean it was loud like for sure the, this film was definitely mixed to be a very very loud movie oftentimes you, there are places where he has that like bass heavy score in it that is meant to like literally rumble you in your seat oh yeah Um, you can totally feel it and and you feel that for sure but i I never felt anything that felt unintentional like i i don't think i missed anything i was supposed to be able to catch in the movie all right um i saw it i did the reverse of carson i saw it in 35 millimeter first because that was the midnight showing that i could go to um and then afterwards i didn't i wasn't cool enough like you guys i didn't go see it in a 70 millimeter real imax i just saw it in a limax um Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know that the limax the digital limax uh was supposed to have not supposed to but i don't know if people were saying that it had the same issues but there was definitely moments in the beginning like you know the opening of this film with matthew mcconaughey just laying in bed and then getting up and coming down to have breakfast with his family, um, there was like just this single note that's being held out underneath that was rumbling my entire auditorium. And there was nothing fancy happening. Like it was just a scene where, I mean, there's, you know, he's, there's a quick moment right before he wakes up, but like basically it's just him having dinner with the family and it's just this, 
like <laughs> sound that was ridiculous. Um, and besides that, uh, like there was there no center channel for you guys because I had no dialogue coming from the front of the theater. All the dialogue was coming from behind me the entire movie, and that really bothered me. That's huh. weird. That's weird because um, uh, Nolan has Nolan said that he mixed the movie for the IMAX mix um all in like the center because he thought or at least for like the space sequences because he he had some you know kind of a tour reason for not using surround sound for the space sequences because he thought it would be all coming from like one vacuum or something like that and i think that may have been a contribution to why like you couldn't like the, the dialogue was being drowned out in certain sequences because like it was all coming out of like the front yeah um and, and that could have been a, a reason why, uh, if you know, if you're not playing it at the correct levels or whatever. But no, I I think that uh, I don't think that was supposed to be the yeah, way. Yeah, I definitely I did not catch anything like that. No. Uh, I should mention the second time I watched it on a Baymax, so every um, <laughs> every explosion was replaced with a fa la 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 la. So nice. That was kind of weird, but I figured that was uh, intentional too. No, I, I think that might be my preferred way to to see the movie. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, if the theater is too cold, stomach. he just kind of mm-hmm. swells up and warms up for you, and then yeah, I, th- I think it's a great time. <laughs> it interrupted me every few minutes asking if I was satisfied, and <laughs> I cannot tell you what I answered till we get into the review. Oh no! <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, how much does this movie hurt you? <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, um, now that we know about our experiences seeing it and uh, whether or not we had audio issues. What do you say, guys? We take a listen to the trailer and then come back and give everybody what they're dying to know, what we thought of Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. We used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Go for our main engine. Start T-minus 10. We must confront the reality that nothing in our solar system can help us. Nine. I've got kids, Professor. How long? Whatever you gone? Eight. I'm asking you to trust me. Seven. Murph. You have to talk to me, Murph. Six. I need to fix this before I go. I have no idea when you're coming back. Five. Main engine start. Couldn't you have told her you were going to save the world? No. Four. When you become a parent. Three. One thing becomes really clear. Two. And that you want to make sure your children feel safe. One. I'm coming back. When? I love you forever. Potentially habitable worlds right within our reach. Could save us from extinction. Here we go. You can't just think about your family now. You have to think bigger than that. I am thinking about my family and millions of other families. Maybe we've spent too long trying to figure all this out with theory. Love is the one thing that transcends time and space. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage 
against the dying of the light. All right, you make it. Yes, you are. We'll find a way. We always have. All right, so you just listened to the trailer for Interstellar. Uh, basically, all you really need to know is that, uh, you know, Earth's not not doing so well. Um, we, we're not running out of, uh, you know, flat screens or computers. We're running mm. out of food. And, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, th- basically Earth is not going to be able to sustain us for very much longer. So we are sending expeditions off into the galaxy trying to find a habitable place to live and that is the basic setup for Interstellar. We are trying to go from being Earth-based to an interstellar civilization. So, Carson, what did you think of this film? Uh, well, obviously, I was very excited to see this movie, um, like everybody else, I think. Um, and because I have a, you know, I'm a fan of Christopher Nolan. I, I mean, I have an immense love and appreciation for him because of all the things that he uh has done um or does in his movies and um let's just be honest he pays you to speak positively about uh, his films yeah (laughs) i get a stipend you know i get like a cut um but no i i i was very excited to see it i mean purely for him alone and obviously you know once you see what he's trying to do a space movie i mean that's already awesome um so yeah and i mean i i i mean Look, I have almost ruined my relationship with my girlfriend over Christopher Nolan, so I, I feel like that you know I've defended him very a lot. What, what did he do to him her? A lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, he, he spent like a whole year of his life pretending like he had retrograde amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, those Batman films, man, they caused a lot of arguments, um, but. Uh, and, you know, I've liked all of his movies, uh, and I defended Dark Knight Rises, even with all of its flaws. Uh, and when I went to see Interstellar for the first the first time I saw Interstellar, I came away from it uh, greatly admiring it, but also, uh, you know, deeply disappointed in a way. Like, I, I my, my initial reaction was the same reaction I had after seeing... Uh, Jason Reitman's new movie, Men, Women, and Children, which was kind of like this cold, detached detachment because it didn't really feel like his heart was in it. Like, it felt like, you know, this movie played and it played long. There was stuff in it, but what did, you know, what actually happened? You know, it didn't really feel substantial or like something that, uh, you know, we've come to know from Nolan where you walk out going like, oh my God, like this is, this is awesome. Like this is next level shit. Uh, <laughs> and I, it, it's funny because I didn't see this movie the first time with my girlfriend because we were avoiding uh, the inevitable. Uh, and uh, I, I told her, I said like, we could have seen this movie together. Cause I just, I walked away like cold on it. Like I just it wasn't the movie I was thinking it was going to be, and I didn't think it lived up. I think that, you know, his ambitions were huge in this movie, um, which is great. And I think it got away from him. And that was one of the reasons why I think Dark Knight Rises faltered was because, you know, you've got a 
two hour, 45 minute movie that's trying to wrap up this franchise. And, you know, it's also trying to just be, you know, it's, it's doing a lot of things and, you know, no one likes to overplot his movies. And it was almost like that film, the ambition was, you could see it slipping away there. Um, but luckily with its flaws, he was able to stick the landing and that's why, you know, I defend that movie. Um, but here, you know, we have a movie that's even longer, um, and he's really going for, I mean, he's really reaching for the stars, no pun intended, uh, you know, cause he's, <laughs> he's trying to make this very heady, ambitious sci-fi movie that I feel like, you know, is in the vein of very much influenced by something like 2001, um, and also this this very personal sort of uh, sentimental film in the vein of something like Vintage Spielberg and Close Encounters and E.T. and something like that. Um, and he's trying to go for that. And, and, and in, in, in the midst of all that, it's like trying to be this four-quadrant blockbuster from back in the day, you know? And I, I loved everything that he was going for, but I felt like it slipped away from him. And that's why I feel like Mostly the movie feels like he's not in it. Um, and then, you know, of course, the movie is very much overplotted when I don't think it needs to be. Um, and that the movie is just rife with thinly drawn characters. I mean, no character is really fleshed out in this movie. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, I guess you could argue his character is, but I feel like it's more because McConaughey of what he added himself into the role. And he's really... I feel like the only one, at least character-wise, that's pulling his weight because everyone else in the movie is sort of just like a basic bitch. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, like I was joking with my brother that like Matthew McConaughey was basically just a glorified Uber driver for a bunch of basic <laughs> bitches who were trying to save humanity. Like that's, it's like when, when Michael Caine is like, Oh, this is the you know this is all we've got. This is all that NASA's got. It's like, well, we're f***ed, man. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> these people aren't good. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, because like Wes Bentley's character in this film, he's essentially the guy Fleegman of this movie. He has this one big moment where he's like, "You gotta think bigger," and then you know he's done. Like that's it. <laughs> and then something bigger comes along. And <laughs> something bigger comes along. But you know, it's just like. I, you know, he was just a face and it, it like stuff like that, like really brings this movie down, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, watching the trailer for this film, I felt like it's very emotional. Cause like, I got like teary eyed every, every time I saw the trailer and you got the music and it was weird. Like the, the first sitting through this movie, I just, the, the whole movie, I just sat there stone faced, like something about it, like the none of the emotional beats were hitting at all with me. Um, and the sort of awe-inspiring wonder that you'd expect from a space movie, to me, it was missing. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, it definitely looks amazing. The spectacle of the film is amazing. Um, but it didn't really feel like a fresh take on space to me. Uh, and I can get into that later. But I just, from the guy who gave us, you know, Inception, which is one of the most, thrilling and original i mean as original as it can be because obviously it borrowed elements from other movies too but it, it felt like it you know it, it established its own world 
And it was a world where, yes, there was a lot of exposition and, you know, people doing the algorithms talk, as I've come to coin that term. But, you know, at least that we had the Ellen Page character who was new to everything and was sort of like our window into that world. Um, but there was just a lot of things in there where you were just like constantly wondering, like, you know, what about this and this and this? Like there was you wanted to see more. And here, like that feeling was gone. Um so that was like a big reason why I was cold on it. But then when I saw it the second time, I warmed up to it a little bit, but I was still, uh, I still didn't, you know, leave it like going like, oh my God, like this is just, you know, the greatest thing since, you know, sliced corn or whatever. <laughs> um, but, since, since popped corn. Right. Since popcorn. Yes. Thank you. Um, but uh, I think the one thing I truly loved um, about the movie is Hans Zimmer's score is th- is so good in this movie. I mean, like, uh, like I, he sounded like he scored this movie in like a haunted medieval castle or something, <laughs> just playing like the biggest church organ ever. Um, it, it totally sounds like old school sci fi film score. Like it's yeah, it sounds like uh, Philip Glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, most I, that's what it reminded me of. Um, and sort of that, like, yeah, like, the kind of the old, like, uh, like, Vangelis stuff from, like, Blade Runner, uh, almost. But, like, I, I don't, like, that, it's just so, it, I mean, you could put that score in front of anything and it would be epic. Um, and that score was just really, I think, propelling the film. Because I think if you take that away, this movie gets a lot more boring. But, because um, I think the movie itself is that is a big reason why it's so watchable and also the fact that you know the movie looks really fantastic and this is a movie that i think other blockbusters should strive to look like because like any of nolan's films he he combines you know the practical with cg in the way that you know it was done when it was kind of first a new thing um and then that's always I always like that about Nolan because he's he's constantly trying to put you into the universe and everything about it looks amazing. I mean, like that's that has to be applauded wholeheartedly because his sort of dedication to making this world at least feel like something you're not necessarily used to seeing. In movies like this, like the fact that, you know, it's set in the future, but it looks like the Dust Bowl, you know, that that was interesting to me. That was cool. And um, just everything that he did to to make this world, you know, a reality, because it, it, it really does feel seamless. And, and that's what, you know, that's why I always point to his movies to say, like, look, even if you're not behind... And this is this was always my argument with my girlfriend over the last two Batman movies was like even if you're not with down with the movie like you got to respect the fact that you know he made Dark Knight Rises this 250 million dollar superhero movie but there were only 400 visual effects shots like that's crazy to me like that is a man who is trying to make something special you know like he's doing something that another director wouldn't necessarily do like they wouldn't they would just be like all right well we're just gonna make everything cg or whatever um so like that's why i'm always praising him for that and this movie 
takes it a step further, I feel, and really gives you that feeling of older sci-fi, not just sci-fi blockbusters, but blockbusters in general. Um, And uh, the look of it is the same way. So that is a huge reason why um, I think this movie still demands to be seen on a big screen. And the second time I saw it, I started to warm up to the fact that, okay, well, this isn't, you know, going to be a 2001-esque masterpiece. It's not. And um, I can get behind it in some ways because it's a very watch... This movie is watchable as hell. Like, I mean, it's not boring, I don't feel. It's very watchable. In the same way that, like, Oblivion and Prometheus look amazing and they're watchable but they all have really shitty scripts you know yeah, like if i you... mean i think Obl- oblivion <laughs> and prometheus are like perfect examples yeah i mean of even... similar movies like you want to love because they're done so well yeah and this is the same way like i wanted to just you know bow down to this movie but i feel like the script is holding it back and you know if you start to pick everything apart in this movie, it just all falls apart. But I feel like in the second time, just watching it through as a movie, as an experience, I enjoyed it more. Um, But, and it's like Prometheus, like that movie is just overly convoluted and shit. And you start to pick it apart. You're like, Oh, this is just dumb. Um, But you know, and the same thing with, with uh, the same thing with gravity too, where it's just like the lack of script. Although the lack of script in that movie kind of helped it, because it was like the John Wick of its genre. It just kind of stripped everything away and was like, "Well, here's space and here's shit." You know, you're just like you're in it, and it's it's terrifying. I'm still um, one of the people that has no absolutely zero problem with the script in Gravity. Well, but, I mean, I, I think there's definitely not much script in Gravity. Yeah, that's yeah, what but, I'm saying. But like, I think there's. I don't think it's a poor script. I think it is perfect. Exact. It's exactly what it needs to be for what we're watching um but i know that i'm in the minority with that i'm but i think that i think it works in the advantage of gravity and that the script is sparse um and i think that interstellar could have could have used some sparseness more than its talkiness i guess um so anyway i'll stop talking I'm like I'm like Interstellar. I just keep going. I was gonna say I think you approached the runtime of Interstellar. <laughs> we're about to sw- we are gonna have to swap over your 70 millimeter uh, film to I let know. you keep going. I- I've been in cryogenic sleep, so I. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I that any of took seven years per hour of my talking. I, I should have been in cryogenic sleep, but instead I wanted to study the wormhole. So I just sat there eating our food supplies, <laughs> using up our oxygen, and wasting fuel. So go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll I'll make my joke. I think it's vague enough that it's not going to spoil anything. If I say that the one real positive I can give this film is Matthew McConaughey's Oscar speech finally makes sense because <laughs> I know how his hero could be himself ten years from now. <laughs> 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 um, I, I won't say any more about that. You you would have uh, had a, a better chuckle from me, but I was drinking as you were delivering that joke, so I had to like. I had to laugh internally. <laughs> you, you didn't want a cranberry splooge all over the place. You know. Good call. Good call. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think we're all probably going to be in agreement on this movie, which I was almost hoping wouldn't happen because I was hoping there'd be some like rousing argument about it. Um, 
this is such a frustrating kind of a mess of a movie and I'm undoubtedly being hard on it because it's Christopher Nolan and I know the potential <laughs> and I know like how good he can be and how high his aims are that if this had just been like a random sci-fi to open up not with all like the giant fanfare not with the big name attached just like look we have a space movie coming out it's called Interstellar I would have been pretty happy with it like I probably would have looked at the the visual elements and like the cool cool overarching plot like you know the dust bowl type future and the last ditch effort to find a habitable home and I would have thought like this is a very this is a cool movie like <laughs> the script needs work but it's cool but considering that I already know Christopher Nolan can make a good movie so like I'm not blown away by the visuals. Yeah. Everything about this movie just felt like so convoluted and so corny. Like every time a character started to talk about gravity and the premise <laughs> and the space love. Like I, I think we can say confidently, un unless you have a good counterpoint, that Christopher Nolan does not do like interpersonal relationships very well <laughs> no i mean that's what he's most criticized for like and this movie it's fine because batman doesn't need to have it right like you know he can yeah. have a love interest and she'll die or whatever but it, it isn't like a major emotional arc of the movie yeah um, in this movie the father-daughter relationship between matthew mcconaughey and jessica chastain and anne hathaway's relationships with various people are meant to be like giant grand statements about humanity and about you know there's that terrible terrible line in the trailer that somehow even though everyone on earth laughed at it in the trailer it still made the final cut too of like <laughs> love being the one thing that transcends space oh. and time yeah you know you know what? let me jump in real fast just on that point like as you said we all make fun of that line it's laughable in the trailer I think the most egregious thing about that line is at the point in the film where that happens, there there has been nothing to warrant that being brought even said. Like mm -hmm. at that no, point well, in time, it's somebody saying like, "Well, I, I want to do this," and and maybe love is reasons. Like, well, I mean, we didn't even know that. Well, we it was hinted at briefly, but we barely didn't even know that Anne Hathaway has a love interest. That may or may not be stranded on one of the planets, and it's just kind of it. It just is thrown in as like a well. It, it's completely thrown in, and it's all like to to push this grand. It, it's meant to feel like some grand philosophy, but right. in the end, it's just like so empty and <laughs> vapid, right? Like in in my audience, granted, I was probably more cynical than a lot of people, but there were a lot of people groaning and laughing and whispering every time like Matthew McConaughey or Anne Hathaway would start to elaborate on the mechanics of the universe or of their philosophy or of these heartfelt things it was just really yeah. like overwrought meant to feel grand like the same with michael Caine, right there there's the poem that i think it's a dylan thomas poem like rage rage <laughs> against the dying of the light oh my god they said that so many times drink yeah, so every he, time he says that damn poem he says it in the trailer and the way it's cut in the trailer you think like okay they're taking a cool line and they're making it like you know, a cool kind of artistic statement about going out into the void. 
Um, but he says it like 10 times in this movie and, and every time it's also cut like a trailer where it's like he's saying, and then it's showing like cool <laughs> shots of space and other stuff happening. Well, it also, uh, a character other than my, Michael Caine later on says it too. Mm-hmm. And it For almost no make, good reason. No. And it almost makes you feel like, well, is, are they, is NASA really like in the future, does NASA turn into some like weird cult and this is like their... <laughs> You know, their slogan or something, like their their chant or something. Yeah, I don't know. Their mantra. I, it's yeah. one of those things that I bet in the script, It when, like, Chris Nolan and Jonathan Nolan are, like, sitting around having this circle jerk where they're writing the script of, like, how amazing it's going to be and how big the lofty ideas are, it probably sounded really cool to throw in a poem like that. But when you see it in action, you're just like, please stop. Like, stop talking. <laughs> show me show me the cool space scenes. Show me everything happening. Don't try to tell me your, like, your grand vision of humanity and what it all means. That, that, that poem is the Zach Braff equivalent of saying when we were younger, we used to dress up and pretend we were superheroes. Or whatever yeah. that now it turns out maybe we were the ones who need saving. It's, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think Christopher Nolan is the one who needed saving from his own... Uh, pretension in this movie yeah, i think the audience might be the one that needs saving <laughs> oh zing and it, shot. it's such a shame like the human elements to say nothing of the final twists in this movie which we're gonna have to have a spoiler section to talk about um it's just that every time it tried to do something meaningful or a thing that's meant to elicit an emotion in the audience other than just general awe at the universe it falters so heavily and i i can't imagine i honestly can't imagine how this film has so much riding on it you know like it's a big budget movie with a big name director big actors had to be screened in front of lots of people like gotten tons of input and no one told him like hey ease back on this cheesy stuff like everyone is gonna laugh at it <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you have all the power in the world. Yeah, when people trust you to be an auteur so much that, you know, you don't get criticism. But I I mean, I think think also, though, there is this this fine line that that where you can earn something. Like, for instance, um, Ryan Johnson's Looper has some stuff in it that if you're not in the right mindset while you're watching the film, if you haven't been on board with it throughout the whole time... There, there's like a couple scenes towards the end of the film that if you are not buying into it 100%, it will just rip you out of the movie and you'll probably walk out of that movie going like, what the hell did I just watch? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like things like the, you know, the weird square robots that are basically Rubik snakes um, and, and, and the cheesy dialogue, I think executed correctly, like it, it can work. Like I, I love those robots. I could see... Mm-hmm. How in like the you know in 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 the first like sort of interrogationy uh, inspired scene, I can see how somebody in the th- could be sitting in a theater being like, "What the hell is this?" Um, yeah. But but it works amazingly if you're buying into it in the context of the film. So I think that I I think that people who were sort of like I, I think the people in the crew who were like, "Oh my God, we are doing amazing things here." This oh, mm-hmm. dude, my brain is exploding with these ideas. Oh, this is so great. Like I, I think people were like buying into their own hype. On like I don't I I truly believe that not a person involved in this production was like, oh, this isn't working for me. I think everybody was was like drinking the Kool Aid. 
Yeah, well, obviously. I mean, they they had to be. And it's funny because my positive comparison actually is like the difference between the prestige and the illusionist in my mind, which both kind of unfortunately came out at a very similar date to each other. Yeah. And both of those films center on kind of having a big reveal that is meant to make the audience go ooh and ah. And where the illusionist in my mind aimed for this big moment and at least I was not in the frame of mind to appreciate it. I was more like, what the hell? This doesn't explain anything. Um, the prestige really earns that that ooh and ah. Like Christopher Nolan, in that case, actually built up a movie in a world where when he does do these big reveals or these kind of grand like statements about uncertainty, you actually are vibing with it. <laughs> and you're totally cool with the like left field elements that happen. But... This movie, by comparison, just did not earn those at all to me. And it's funny that you mentioned Looper, because that was actually my positive comparison, too. Um, Looper is a movie that also plays with sci-fi themes, like time travel. And it does it in such a way that no no scientist is going to say, like, this is an accurate movie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, no one needs to. Like, it, do it doesn't even try to be accurate. It actually it pushes some like fantasy sci-fi things towards the end intentionally. Yeah. Um, but the big rule of thumb is if you're going to express like some kind of mechanism or some big thing in the movie, you need to at least commit to it enough that you're willing to like explain it or stand by it or make it be meaningful to people. Like you can't play something as a big reveal or like a deus ex machina and then wimp out without having it make any sense to anybody. Yeah. And so much of this movie in the final act felt like it was going for big bullet points of, oh, this is going to be so meaningful. Look at how it's all going to be connected. Look at what it all means. And I just yeah. did not feel like it earned that whatsoever. <laughs> well, it basically should have shut its mouth. Yeah, like... it, it should have stopped talking. Like, you can either be try to be legitimate science fiction in the sense of like providing a mechanism and building a universe where things can happen or you can have a more you know kubrick style ending where you go very artistic and like maybe you don't know exactly what it all means but it's not it isn't claiming look this is an equation or this is the yeah. scientific principle you can get behind yeah and this yeah, i mean oh sorry go ahead no I, I was just gonna say this seemed like it tried to have it both ways like it it yeah. wanted that like art house 2001 ending type feeling of oh my god look at this imagery look at all of mankind connected and then it was just utter bullshit when matthew mcconaughey <laughs> tries to say what is going on yeah <laughs> and it well, went I, on for so long and and, and and when when matthew mcconaughey is trying to say what's going on he's he's trying he's he's extrapolating outside of the thing he's in to make assumptions about what's going on for yeah. like, he is speaking from the standpoint of the writer of the film through a context that he could not possibly have as that character it's like insulting <laughs> yeah he's basically christopher nolan explaining to everyone why this makes sense and why <laughs> you should be moved by it yeah like well, it, i mean yeah Oh, no, I was just going to say that I, I read a review, and I can't remember who said it, uh, and, but they basically said, uh, you know, if if you didn't like the ending of 2001, like if you're the kind of person who wanted every detail of that scene explained to you down to the thread count in the bed, in the mattress, in the sheets, uh, then you're going to love Interstellar. 
mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because that is essentially what happens at the end of this movie. Yeah, they he tries to be artistic in a, in a way that you know no one can consider science like. It, it isn't that different from what Contact did either, but Contact managed to make it compelling. Like, con- Contact has yeah. moments of, like, beautiful imagery and much more fantasy than strict sci-fi. And it, it it totally works in my mind because it's trying to counterpoint, like, the scientific rational feeling versus the experiential nature of the main character. And in this movie, it's like, everything is portrayed as being rational and humanistic. It's like supposed to be a triumph of the human spirit. And then it's just so, it's stupid. Like I, I can't call it anything else. It, I thought it was stupid. My girlfriend thought it was stupid. The people around us were kind of groaning at it. Like, <laughs> it was a big miscalculation, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, also contact has a lot of, I feel like has a lot of heart in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, this movie was weirdly lacking. Like the, I remember seeing it the first time, and when they first shoot off into space, I was like, it, it felt so quick. Like I was just like, whoa! Like we're already in space. Like this seems like I, I wanted more time on Earth, you know, to develop McConaughey's relationship with his family, mm-hmm. and also I, I don't know. If this is, I mean, this could just be me being you know dumb or whatever, but. I thought it would have been cool to at least, like, have, like, some... Like, it just felt like it needed something else. Like, I don't know. Like, it... And I'm sure, like, you know, in, in other blockbusters, you know, we get... We always get, like, the training montages and stuff like that <laughs> of people people going in the simulator. But these... But the astronauts in this movie are such basic bitches that Michael Caine is just like, well, they already failed the simulator. And it's like, oh, so we already saw them being trained by Stanley Tucci or whoever, uh, <laughs> and they all failed. So that's why McConaughey is here. Well, you didn't say uh, they failed. You just said that they'd never actually flown an actual craft. So No, no. Mm-hmm. There was a line where he said they failed the simulation. Yeah, they failed. Yeah. Mm. No, there so was, Chris dude. did see it twice, and I didn't. So I maybe can No, but I Carson did, too. I did, it. yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure the only thing is these guys have never made it out of the simulator. Okay, yeah. Maybe Cause, cause, that was Because he, he says... I've but never, I interpreted I've never that as them failing. Well, to me, I didn't because because Matthew McConaughey has the line like, "You don't need me. I've never made it out of the stratosphere." And then Michael Caine counters that with, "Well, they've never made it out of the simulator," i.e., mm-hmm. like they may have done this a million times, but they can't r- respond to the actual strains that you know yeah. any sort of flying of a craft. You know, the, the physics don't work in yeah. the simulator. No, but I, I just, I just interpreted that as them failing. Like they need to call in Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones and all his old buddies <laughs> to show them how it's done. Yeah, so, I mean, re- regardless of which it is, I definitely agree that given you have an almost three-hour runtime for a movie, you could have let it build up a little more. You know, like yeah. emphasize the Earth part, so the magic of leaving and going to this distant galaxy feels more agoraphobic kind of like you could build up that feeling and part of that would be showing showing him resisting his calling at first showing a little bit of the training at least motivating that he is good but not not even the training i mean i just said that as uh as something that you usually see in movies like that but i mean it just more of like the the interaction with his family and stuff because once we cut back to uh adult murph jessica chastain 
and Casey Affleck, like, I feel like they're barely in it. Like, I feel like, you know, why hire such good actors if they're not going to do anything? I mean, Casey Affleck, literally, I... Why was he in... Why? Why would <laughs> yeah, you cast him in this movie? Like Car- Carson, it, if Chris Nolan called you up and was like, Carson no, no, Patrick, no, 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 no. I want you I, to be in my movie, you'd be like, dude, freaking, I'm there. Dude, He's I, like, is my brother's best friend in this movie? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> dude, I totally I totally get that. I mean, no. No one's going to say no to that. It's like it's like JGL and Lincoln. It's like, wh- why was JGL and... You know, why would you cast him in that movie? Well, I mean, if Steven Spielberg calls you up and says, look... Daniel D. Lewis wants you to play his son. It's like, well, yes, I'm going to do it. Um, is my role small? Yeah, and it's not, you know, I, you know, I should have, you know, you know what I mean. Like, it just it feels like a waste. But of course they're going to do it. And I don't know. Casey Affleck was in a different movie, in my opinion. He was in some like hardcore domestic drama, <laughs> some like Steinbeck esque movie where he's just like beating his kids. With a domestic abuser beard and growing corn, <laughs> which am, am I the only one that like actually to me. Thought, like I was totally fine with his his plot. I mean, this is a man who, from a young age, was told that he has to be like this great farmer. His dad is basically taken away from him and sent off into you know other galaxies, and he's left to care for his family, to run the farm, and to do the one thing, the only thing that you can do to keep the planet going, which is plant and grow corn. And there's things, there's people, there's forces trying to drive him away from being a farmer and manning up and being the owner of this house and and being there with what his father did, what his grandpa did, and all this stuff. And people are constantly trying to get in his face and go like, no, you have to leave Everything you've ever known, you have to leave the one thing that was left to you by a father that left and flew off in the galaxy and left you alone to care for this family. And, like, I, I thought that all that stuff was great. Really? No, I mean, I, it didn't I, click I with just, me at all. Yeah, I agree with Steven. I think it should have been a little more fleshed out, but... Well, there's no time to... Fl- I, I'm not saying it was perfectly fleshed out. I'm saying that, like, I, no, think, yeah. I think the back on Earth stuff is the best part about this movie. Well, um, I... I Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying that the the adult counterparts were the actors' talents were weren't exactly utilized because their parts were pretty small. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. I, I mean. But hey, look. You know, like you said, if Christopher Nolan calls you up, of course you're gonna be in it. I mean, like the guy who's the principal is the dude from uh, Rise of the Apes and uh, Jack Reacher. Like, like of course he's gonna be in that one scene. You know, it's like why not? Um. But. But someone like Casey, I feel like this, that those two roles felt like they should have been bigger or just at least more significant. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it, it gets back to the overall feeling that I had, which I think everyone shared, which is that this movie is too overplotted, sort of. Yeah. And that means it. even if those scenes on Earth could have been great, I actually, I, I wasn't vibing on them very much. Because um, in my mind, this movie was the primary strength were the visuals and not any of the plot that it was going for. So I was much happier to see, you know, Matthew McConaughey on a giant planet with big waves and shit than I was with uh, (laughs) Jessica Chastain following in his footsteps and all this kind of sentimental crap back on Earth. But I, I totally get that that could have been the best part. But the way the movie was plotted, it nothing else mattered so i didn't know why i should care about that either yeah no Wait, there could have been a good had back and f- to it. there could have been a good back and forth and they do do they do do uh, a lot of back and forth between space and and earth and 
But it's weird because it's like there'll be long stretches of them in space and then they'll cut back and it's like, oh, Jessica's Chastain's still in the damn room and Topher Grace is telling her to get down to the car. It's like, I forgot about that. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on. You have to remember that while they're in space, there are like no, I, <laughs> decades of time that are passing. True, true. But I'm just, I'm talking and about. why would I'm you talking, waste that time with Topher Grace? <laughs> I'm talking about movie-wise. It talking about like editorially. It doesn't doesn't work. Yeah. To me. Well, you know, the, the, the different levels of time, like in the dream worlds, you know, like this is just <laughs> like the back on Earth is just the shitty version. It's like the above the above world. And you're like, none of that matters. What matters is what you're doing in the dream world, i.e. space. And then eventually you're going to get a kick, which is going to send you back up to the Earth world. And then you got to just like throw some papers and scream Eureka. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the equation, dude. Um, papers plus eureka divided by throwing equals space love yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean funny story there was actually a scene of space love in the original script back when spielberg was going to make this movie oh there was supposed to be some apparent scene where they like where two characters rip each other's clothes off and make love tumbling through their interstellar capsule that's that dude that sounds like some jodorowsky shit right there like (laughs) they they made love by you know exchanging their the you know if you've seen Jodorowsky's Dune there's some yeah there's there's some kinky stuff in there <laughs> Th- this movie could have used some kinky Jodorowsky-esque stuff in it like I mean you know like I was telling my girlfriend I was like yeah like it's cool that they landed on this water planet and there's a big wave but wouldn't it be cooler if there was just like this neon sea monster that destroyed the ship instead of the wave? Like uh, you wouldn't be expecting that. You're right. Some... I would not be expecting, and it would not have improved this movie at all. Well, I think it would have uh, a little bit of flair might have. You know, something there was a else lot to of lens flare. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's why I, I'm going back to my what I said about it's not exactly an original take on space because a lot of it is just like, well, uh, you know. Not not to say like I've seen this before. It just it's nothing where you're going like whoa like that's you know I mean it looks cool but it's just not it doesn't feel different you know it yeah and th- and that's kind of what I want to get to just to you know wrap up my mini portion of it is that visual the reason I'm disappointed in this movie is that visually it is pretty like breathtaking much of the time. That, that's kind of why it's so crazy that the script managed to be so bad enough, so bad that it made me not care about the visual element anymore and, and still be against it. Like, I, I thought yeah. the planet scenes were occasionally, like, mesmerizing. Like, the idea of them landing on this foreign world and exploring it, the the water planet and the the empty one with the actor <laughs> the who won't be planet, named. The ice planet. <laughs> the Okay, there's only two planets, but really... <laughs> Well, the other oh, one was okay. like, I know, you know, I know, I know. I, so all of that magic is kind of in the trailer, but that is what I was looking forward to. It, I, I was imagining the concept of being on Earth, flying so far away that you can't even communicate anymore, landing on a planet that has never been seen and walking around. I, I don't know. I thought that was the one thing that a giant IMAX screen and the visual style of someone like Nolan could really capture in a sort of realistic way. And even though it didn't give me much of that, I thought I thought those scenes were very well designed. At least I thought I, I certainly felt a little bit of the awe of actually being there. Uh, I also thought the time dilation conceit it, it actually made me a little excited 
even though it wound up being super stupid. <laughs> but I, I was briefly very excited at the idea of like time dilation playing a fundamental part in the ticking clock of this movie. Um, I, I even had moments of the intensity of gravity, kind of, of the feeling of the remoteness and the distance and just being one little person out here in the world, uh, in mm. the universe. But it didn't go the John Wick route of chopping off all the fat and the fat so clouded the visual style that by the end, I, I couldn't root for it. <laughs> yeah. Even if there were moments where I thought it was really, really well done, they were, they were pushed away in my memory by all the stupid. It, 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 and I don't know why NASA is pretending this is like real science. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson is tweeting about how great it is. And NASA people are talking about the truth behind it. And it, but it e- is even, bullshit even, science. Even Neil deGrasse Tyson, though, he's he's not talking about everything in the movie. He's t- he, he's only talking about the parts that were accurate, like the concepts that were accurate. Because I was following his tweets, too, and I was, like, reading them. And I, I reread the chain of tweets he put out, like, over and over because I thought that same thing at first. But then I realized he was kind of, like, keying into certain aspects. Like, oh, this is what they got right. This is what they got right. He didn't care about the, the crap story and how they used certain elements. Like, he took, okay, th- this this theory or this, this idea of how something works um, is is what we consider fact. And then what they did with that, who cares? We're not talking about that. Like, my, my favorite of those two tweets is, like, he's like, hey, if you want to know more about, you know, the the science of Interstellar and get this book, The Science of Interstellar. And if you want to, if you want to buy a book that teaches you more about the plot in this movie, there is no book that will teach you about the plot in this movie. Like he, he's, I, I think he, he, I, I don't think he was super pro the science in this film so much as like the things they did accurate that most films do not. I get it. But I mean, you and I both were in the same like live Google Hangout. Oh yeah, with yeah. the actors and There's people from JPL or NASA, <laughs> and everyone like Jessica Chastain and Anne Hathaway. Like, Matt McConaughey is the one guy that didn't like try to pretend <laughs> that the science was amazing in this movie. The other two were saying like it was so wonderful to be in a movie with such like deep scientific truth. Yeah, no, it it was bullshit. And it's like I, I I was I was reading not reading I was typing you the other day, Stephen. Uh, lines from the the Times article about the film and like just things were. I, well, actually, I can't even go into the things that it said in there because they're all spoiler related. Um, which we'll is say that like <laughs> Nolan and his brother took some little bits of information about how we understand certain phenomenon in the galaxy work and just extrapolated all this stuff that makes absolutely zero sense out of those principles and was like, no, yeah, so there's just stuff that escapes from blah, 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 and that equals this, right? <laughs> and then nervous scientists are just like, you you, you said this will help us get funding, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. That, that works. Yeah. Bookshelf, yeah. whatever. It's it's pretty bad. But uh, Anyway, Chris, I think you've been voicing your opinion, but let's make it clear. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, we're, we're running pretty long, so, um, so like Inception is like my favorite movie of all time. Okay, it's I think it's fantastic. I think it's awesome. Um, I love the way Nolan 
took these things that we have, like the way we experience dreams and seemingly like a different time span than what normal reality is, you know, like how we can dream a whole week worth of time, but when we wake up, it's only been like a split second or whatever. Um, you know, things were like, we've all had that sensation where we're like jolted awake from a dream in the sensation of falling. And like the way he works that into a story, the way he extrapolates what little we know as as human beings about the way dreams work and ter- invents this whole universe and this system of rules and uh, this really interesting story <laughs> and like all these cool things like I just love that movie and I was extremely excited for Interstellar I I mean I I honestly didn't know a lot about it because the trailers were actually I mean even though you know Car- Carson was avoiding the trailers but like I was watching them because I was like I want to know more about this movie and like even the trailers are super <laughs> wait vague. to see it. Well, even the trailers are super vague. They were like really well done trailers. They, uh, you know, they communicate a little bit of emotion and then not a lot about the story other than the fact that like people are getting on a ship and flying and stuff. Earth is in bad luck. Um, So uh, I was really excited for it. And uh, I know they were doing the early release on like, you know, projection film, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to be able to see it till Thursday. Um, So I was like, I I was fine with it. And I was sitting there like Monday night. Um, uh, and then people started like, you know, people, other podcasters and people in the business started tweeting about like sitting down for our things of Interstellar. I was like, no, damn it. I can't have people watching this. I can't. Ah. And like, I immediately went online, bought my ticket. It was like, screw it. I'm going to the midnight showing the following night. And, uh, like I, I knew going in that, that this probably wasn't going to live up to the expectations I had for it. Um, but I was still ready to be on board, be excited watch the film and I really hated this film. <laughs> um, I, it, it, it it's disappointing. It, it, yes, it's disappointing, but it's also aggravating the problems with the film. Um, I like, I, I think the, the setup for this universe that Nolan's created, like th- this idea of, of um, uh, the state in which the world is the fact that like, you know, being a smart scientist type person isn't valuable to the world anymore because of the condition we've been left in. Really, everybody just needs to be farmers and produce food so that we can continue to survive. Like, I, I like that world. Um, there's a great scene uh, where Matthew McConaughey has to go into, like, a parent-teacher conference um, because his daughter brought in a science textbook that, that, that teaches some stuff that the world believed to be false information now even though like you know we all know that this information is real like those aspects of the film are really interesting i i had a i i love the setup for this film i think it starts to go downhill super quickly as soon as they leave earth and start flying into the rest of the film and i i just it feels like everything is a series of set pieces that don't aren't really necessary to the story and like if like you know, we've got some criticism about our podcast that we think we're really funny and uh, we like to joke about stuff. And mm-hmm. and this film feels like the the narrative equivalent to like of the spoiler warning <laughs> of the spoiler warning. Yes, exactly. Like it feels like just watching it. I it feels like like oh these guys think they're really freaking smart <laughs> or like and it's and it's like I I I hesitate to use the term dumb or stupid. Um, but it it's just it's. It's aggravating and it's kind of insulting the level to which it, it feels lazy. And it, but but it feels it feels lazy in a way to where it feels like everybody involved thinks they're doing a great job, 
but I think they're they're drinking their own Kool-Aid so much that they stopped trying to make a, a, a really deep and impactful story. And mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know, there, there's so many things that I can't really get into without being super spoilery, where it's just like there's decisions characters make that don't make sense, entire motivations for characters you meet in the middle of the film that the the trajectory of their arc doesn't even have to go that way at all. That there's mm-hmm. no, there's like it's it's insane like how some of this stuff happens in this film and it's uh, it's I don't know it, it's one of those things where it's like it's disappointing to an aggravating level because I can see how it could have been really really awesome. There there are there are genuine things that I I. I like story elements that I like, but at, at the same time, it feels like we're taking a bunch of things that have existed before, and then we're trying to like throw this M Night Shyamalan-y kind of existence into the story in in a way that is I don't know why. And then you know, as we talked about with Matthew McConaughey saying things towards the end of the film where he's explaining the he's explaining what has been happening from a viewpoint outside of what his character has has knowledge of, and and stuff like that is just. It, you you can't sucker me into feeling like you did something amazing if your story hasn't supported that arc up until that moment. Like it, mm-hmm. it's like I I saw somebody um somebody tweeted today a that like in in their podcast they linked to an image that is is like an infographic of the time in uh the timelines of Interstellar and. I've seen people do infographics of the timelines of Inception, and that the, that illustration has meaning to it. Like, you can look at that, watch the movie, and use that to better understand the movie. You can, you can like, oh, yeah, this is the part. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there, there's no need for having an infographic about the timeline in this film because there, there's nothing. It, it doesn't provide you any information that wasn't already in the film at face value. Like, there's no... There's no greater significance that you can achieve by looking at a drawn out timeline of how this film goes. Like it doesn't, it doesn't add anything. So it's, it's kind of like I, I saw that and I literally stared at it for like 10 minutes, like trying to figure out why it was created because I was like this, this, other than like, yeah, you have great illustrator skills. Like there was no reason to even draw this diagram in the first place because it didn't do anything. Um, but I, I I was just gonna say I saw that earlier today also and uh, I I tried to follow it and I just confused myself even more, um, which I think is a good representation of the movie because it's just overly complicated for no reason. <laughs> and, and it's funny because you, like you mentioned that you you know really really love uh, Inception and I also really really loved Inception. Like I haven't seen it in a while, but. You can see even in Inception, like, it walks this line where if it had tipped just a little bit more into its own, like, self-satisfaction with how complicated it was, it could have crumbled, right? Like, I I can imagine watching Inception cynically or not vibing on it and being like, oh, come on, you think you're so effing clever, don't you know? (laughs) And I didn't watch it that way because I was vibing on it. And a lot of people do watch it that way. I mean, the detractors of it, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, I I dragged a buddy to the film and and that's how he responded to it. Yeah, Yeah. like, oh, dreams are taken so seriously. I, I mean, and I understand that now because this is the movie that pushes him past that line. Like, it feels like someone who... He did Inception, 
you know, uh, he did Memento. He's decided now that every movie he does must blow your mind somehow. And so he took a plot which is meant to be grand and adventurous, doesn't need to blow your mind, right? Like, it can expand your mind in the way you think it will. But instead, he decided he had to add this, like, mind-bending twist. And I felt like everyone who has railed against Inception. Yeah. But but here's a question, because I don't even know if really the twisty plot of this movie is almost a problem. I wonder if... It's the the emotional side of it because Nolan has said that, you know, he went back into the script to add more human element to it. And, you know, he gets criticized a lot for not having a human element to his movies a lot of the times. Um, but I feel like in something like Inception, it sort of worked in its favor that, that it's this kind of this everyone's kind of cold and sleek, but they're not, you know, they kind of just... Mm-hmm do their shit and get it done even the um, romance is like some yeah, idealized thing it, it isn't yeah, i mean they're thing not really feel. there's not really any kind of rom- i mean there's some flirting but it's not anything that's it's all just sort of you know the world is you know he views this world this way and that's he we're, we're still talking it, about and, inception right 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 yeah well so like in, in inception there is a huge romantically inspired moment that takes place before the movie starts. No, exactly. And all the other characters are aware of it and are walking on eggshells on thin ice around and tiptoeing around this subject matter the entire film. So it's like, even though the film doesn't necessarily spend 90% of its runtime focusing on that, it's always there. And by the time you learn about what that is, you've already known it's there the entire time. So it feels like while the characters may be cold and while the scenario surrounding what's going on might be a little bit cold, like you still feel the presence of that, those inciting events throughout right, the course I, I think of the what film. you feel, it, it seemed more to me like, like the beginning of Gone Girl almost, where you have this hyper, hyper stylized memory yeah. of a person and f- very broadly painted feelings but it didn't need to delve into a like human connection that you touch right it's more like a a grand tragedy or like watching two people act emotions i i don't know how to explain it it had it's not going for that that inception isn't going for that like sentimentality you know Mm -hmm. Uh, like the 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 sort of spielbergian sentimentality yeah I, i i which i think is which that's why I think it benefits. There's obviously there is, you know, the whole you know the whole relationship between DiCaprio and and his wife. But I mean, like, I just feel like that, that his Nolan's sort of way with characters. I feel like benefits the world of Inception more than this movie. Um, and plus, like, dude, Inception. There's just sequence after sequence where you're like this is badass like in this movie there isn't that like i mean in like you take inception you take a scene where like you know you got tom hardy skiing down a mountain throwing grenades into tanks <laughs> and giving them and then giving them the thumbs up and in this movie we got well, oh jessica like that well, <laughs> it, this movie you got like well jessica chassier decides to turn her jeep around and start a fire there, i there, mean there it, was space surfing though i mean you gotta what in Interstellar? Yeah, 
uh, well, you know, it's not as cool as C-Tate's space surfing with some dragon monster thing. Just saying. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be a lot better. Jupiter sending, what up? Coming at you. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited for Jupiter sending, but it, I mean, it's going to be a pretty stupid story. I mean, you got to admit, it's it's like super, it's like, it's a, it, 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 it's like a fern goalie kind of like weird space opera. Dude, I'm I'm. <laughs> down as shit for that like i i can't wait man I, and i feel like that but let's face it carson you're up as shit for that if you know what i'm oh, saying oh man I, I feel like interstellar could have used some more of uh some more of that uh <laughs> i think i mean i mean come on like I, somebody's probably gonna ring me for it but like i had more fun watching armageddon like i mean i feel like that movie at, <laughs> that movie at least gets like a camaraderie of a team down i mean they didn't know what they were doing but at least it feels like they had a team, you know? They weren't just a bunch of basic bitches in space. <laughs> and there's even a thing at the end of Interstellar was like, we're going to slingshot around Saturn. And I was like, didn't they do that in Armageddon? They slingshot they, they around the moon? They do that in every space. Like, that, yeah, that, they, that is the most efficient way to travel in space because of... what Saturn is for. Dude, they didn't have Peter Stormare, like, beating a machine, the engine with a wrench or something to turn <laughs> it on. That's how we do things in Russia. That's how we do things in Russia. Uh, well, I, I want to. I want to. Anyway, I want to go on and say some more things about being in space. Uh, so I, 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 I do really enjoy space films, and part of the reason, um, and, and this is all going to be this is this is somewhat counterpoint to something Stephen you said earlier, but like one of the things I love about space films is the same thing I love about underwater films. Like they're, they're just the 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 nature of the hostile environment and the aloneness and the idea that like yeah there is this wall that separates you from nothingness and and if something goes wrong there there's no rescue from it like it that's it like the one of the most frightening things about space is not that there's going to be some space monster or that some person is going to be a threat to you it's that the the space itself is a threat like best case scenario if something goes wrong, you suffocate to death. Like that, that's the best case. <laughs> like, so for me, like you, you, you said, Stephen, that, that at moments you did feel like the sense of aloneness and, and all that kind of jazz. Like I never felt that space was an enemy in this film. Like there, there was never really a point. Like it, it's all about this other stuff. And like the, the, the big scariness is, will we accomplish a goal soon enough that everybody on earth will still be alive like that is the big threat of of or not that, that that's basically the, the thing that everybody's worried about is that like we can go out do our thing come back and everybody will be able to survive like that that's the thing it's never really about this crew um will they be able to survive the elements like there's never scenes um there's never scenes where like People like there's a great scene in in um, Sunshine where people are sitting in a room doing math to figure out if they have enough supplies and oxygen to keep the current crew members alive and and complete the mission. Like that is a thing that like the, in, in in a real space scenario, like that's something that you are worried about. Like we because you know. Basically, when you go on a space mission, like one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because you have to bring all your food, all your fuel, all your oxygen, everything you need to get to your destination and possibly back or get to your destination and set up camp. All of that has to be brought with you. And all of that equals weight equals like, you know, the more crap you load on the ship, the more fuel you got to bring. The fuel itself weighs like stuff like there's a bunch of math about calculating how can we get these people to a destination. And this film 
does, like you get scenes where like characters are like, well, that took longer than we expected. Uh, now we have less fuel than we did before, but there's never like a sense of like, besides like one scene where Anne Hathaway is saying like, well, if you chose the wrong thing, then you're going to have to worry about if we have enough fuel to choose the other thing. Like that, that's really the only time that you really get a sense of, of, uh, there being a threat of the mission ending simply because there isn't enough like time for the people on the ship like it, no but i i don't know there's about no that, there's the, no stakes in the movie is essentially no, but the, there's a pivotal scene with an actor who won't be named where the whole point <laughs> of this and the resolution is whether they will be able to return or whether they'll be stuck Right, like I feel like this is a major threat that, but but maybe it, doesn't stick because but it, it doesn't was a pretty feel dumb... like a threat. It doesn't <laughs> but, feel like a threat because that threat you can kind of see coming, and it just doesn't. It all factors into what Chris is saying, where it's just like none of it felt like it had any weight or stakes to it. That, that, yeah, but that, that that threat still becomes because of a person, like like mm-hmm. an, an event, a person a person becomes the event as opposed to just like the thing like like they're like going back to sunshine again which is a movie that i deeply deeply love that like every scene is like okay well it's been an hour let's recalculate to make sure we can still complete the mission like an hour later uh, like oh oh shoot we should crunch these numbers again like uh, i think we're still on track like it's all about like it everything in sunshine is about like the the likelihood that the mission can't succeed no matter what and comparing their current trajectories in the story and in actual space um, and, and trying to figure out whether everything is still going as needed. In this, it feels like, yeah, we're just going to swing around here and go over here. I'm like, oh, uh, like, oh, well, you know, if we try to make it down to the planet's surface because of time delineation and all that kind of jazz, like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, well, what if we just, like, arc around the side and we're going to use more fuel, but it's not going to matter because who knows how much fuel we have. It's not a, a number that we've actually thrown out in this film. And it just feels like everything just feels like it, it's it's all pseudo attempting to be, I don't know, it just like, yeah. No, I, I feel you. It, it, it doesn't raise the stakes. It doesn't give you enough weight in them. I, I still think the, like space isn't the enemy in this movie, but space is the conclusion that you don't want to hit, right? Like people are the enemy, but yeah. I still feel like it draws out the vastness of space. Like it has shots of the there's one in particular around saturn where it has a shot of the ship orbiting the ring of saturn yeah. and the camera is pulled way out it's it's almost like one of hodorowsky's like set designs or something like a drawing that they animate um where it shows this little ship in this giant planet that it has nothing to do with yeah and i i felt like there were moments of that that maybe it was just me projecting onto the film but I was imagining if at any point anything threatens their ability to return, I am going to come back to all those memories and think of the isolation element of it. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I definitely... It, it's always there in the background, but it's not the primary force. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and that, I mean, that, love is the primary force. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gravity the second... And and then space power power love dude um yeah I don't know there's just something about it and, and there's also there's this weird thing too like so so all space all films involving space travel incorporate like you know hypersleep or frozen suspended animation kind of stuff 
in this film, it's kind of used as this like, like safety net. So worst case scenario, if space does become the threat, just hop in your hypersleep chamber and flip on the beacon. And sure, you might not wake up for a thousand years, but (laughs) it'll be okay because you're not dying horribly. You're just going to sleep and you can still wake up and it won't matter. Like there's this weird sense to, I don't know, it's something about the, the little sleep devices that they had kind of lessened the the fear for me in a way well uh i just wanted to really quick second that yes um sunshine is a deeply underrated film and that that movie feels like the movie that a movie that christopher nolan would have made or or i guess should have made i don't know but it uh, that it has sort of that intimate feeling but also it has the feeling of something you know bigger and grander yeah um and i feel like that you know that movie focuses solely on the crew in space and it doesn't give us anything back down on earth and i think some of the problems with interstellar is that it's trying to have both it's trying to focus on the things that are happening in space and the things that are happening on earth and it's not you know, it's too much. Um, like I said, the, the ambition gets away and that, uh, I feel like it may have benefited from focusing just on the crew in space and trying to be a more intimate film. Cause I mean, I, I did appreciate the fact that while we're on earth, it does feel like a very intimate film. You know, we don't really get to see anything outside of Matthew McConaughey and where he lives. Um, and I, I don't know, I just had a feeling, you know, that maybe if we just, you know, parted down and just had it be about space particularly if it was just about matthew mcconaughey and tars you know going around and we just had some like we had some like terrence malick as voiceover and it was just like a really quiet weird ass movie um it's basically then we luke and r2d2 flying around in their little <laughs> uh yeah um actually the way this movie ends is probably the movie that w- what that movie would be uh you can probably cut that out but whatever um <laughs> That's the movie I would I would be down for seeing a little more, uh, uh, you know, because it's like, look, it doesn't have to be realistic. I know Chris Christopher Nolan tries to make it, you know, all about the realism, but it's like, who cares if the science makes no sense? It's like I, I that's, care if the science doesn't make sense. No, but I mean that's that's the least of the film's problems. I think I think that like that's not the thing you're gonna step away from, you know, when you after you see the movie. It's not the thing you're gonna remember. I mean, neither is the plot, and I think that once you start to nitpick it and tear it apart, it's like, yeah, the whole thing crumbles, and and that's why, like I, I said, like on the second viewing, just sort of watching at surface level, I feel like it's it's inherently watchable, and that on those terms, it's like a Prometheus or even like a Cloud Atlas, where you admire it, but it's not really doing anything new, you know, to the genre. Um, normally I would like agree with you and maybe on a second viewing I will Um, the reason in this case I feel like (laughs) the bad science matters other than the fact that I'm always the token bad science matters guy Um, (laughs) that's your shirt but in this case in particular it's exactly what Chris was saying where this movie it sells it with such like fanfare and conviction as if it were being the most clever movie in the world 
And when you see someone like stroking their own ego and then striking out so badly with it, it's harder to forgive it than you than it would be if you did watch it through the lens of like, this is going to be a mindless but cool experience. No, that I'm I mean that's have. that's true. Yeah, because I I feel like if you like I I feel like Oblivion is essentially the same way, but it's a movie that's you know I react I, I recommended more because of the fact that you know Tom Cruise. The visuals are holding that together, and it's almost like, well, if if someone like Joseph Kaczynski had directed Interstellar, we'd probably be sitting here going like, oh, you know, it's great. You should see it because of, you know, mostly because of the technical issues. But like you said, since but, it's but Christopher he, Nolan, you're grading it on a higher scale. Even with Oblivion, like I, I've I've watched Oblivion since I've watched it with other people. I like I I genuinely like Oblivion, and I think that. Oblivion's b- biggest flaws are just being derivative of a lot of different things. Like there's nothing right, yeah. there's nothing really bad in Oblivion's story. Like it's a fine, succinct little interesting story. It just feels like it's borrowing from a lot of stuff and you just right. all you have But to, it's the weakest to, element of the movie, yeah, for but, sure. Yeah, but all you have to do is make the argument that it's homaging things and that sort of criticism slowly goes away if you choose to squint a little bit and kind of like cock your head to the side. Um but I I, I think that this film that that you know it it's it's similarities to other films in the sci-fi genre aren't its problem it's just a bad movie i mean the the script definitely is its downfall and and especially when this year when we got something like edge of tomorrow which was a a very sort of took heady concepts and sort of dilute not diluted them but sort of package them in this like very fun um accessible but also smart way i mean it that's the movie that i feel like it should have been you know like it should have been more like that and i feel like that you know even if if you're gonna make the movie try and make it as realistic as possible like go that route that's totally fine but commit to it like i mean but that's the thing too with with edge of tomorrow like like the, the big key here too is that like you know, you know, bad science matters. But in Edge of Tomorrow, the story isn't about why the time travel mechanic works. It's simply True. about what you would do in a scenario in which you keep repeating the, this battle over and over and over. And it's really just like, the, the, like, it, sure, there's a second where you go like, okay, so killing an alien and having the blood spill on you makes you time travel over and over and over uncontrollably. That sounds cool. Once you get past mm-hmm. that, you're all you need is kill. You do, you know you just like I want to see Tom Cruise like blowing shit up and being yeah, crazy because because that movie in a, in a different way like had the human element like not necessarily in a sentimental sense but in like it is about a character that you want yeah. to watch and root for yeah and all of the time travel is just the conceit to make it happen like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day right like right. I could not care less that the mechanics of Groundhog Day have no rationale yeah yeah <laughs> right. Because that's not the point. You just want to see what's going to happen next. And I Here, think if they, they, they give yeah. a rationale when you never asked or wanted to see what was going to happen. Yeah. And I think if the human element had been greater in Interstellar, it, I don't think it would have been as big of a problem. Yeah. And if, and if the plot of Interstellar was uh, this, uh, you know, satellite falls from the sky and it's just a button. And when NASA presses the button, they appear on another planet. And they're like, wow, this planet is a lot like Earth. We should bring everybody else here. And they push the button and go back to Earth. 
get everybody in a big pile and push the button and appear on the new planet again. Like, you wouldn't necessarily go, well, how does that button work? You'd just be like, oh, weird, somebody placed a button that does magic stuff. Like, you know, like, but having characters explain how, like, subspace works and how pressing the button is like folding time and space together in a thing and pushing a pen through it. Like, there's just, I don't know, it... No, I mean, it's it's the algorithm syndrome. It's like Captain America Winter Soldier. It's like, it's boring. What, you're saying like Hydra he, did it? <laughs> yeah, it was all Hydra's fault. Um, but I mean, it's boring. Like, I don't want to hear characters talk about stuff that, you know, is just like, ah, oh, math, as our friend Mr. Tucci would say. But here's the thing is, like, I loved the exposition in, in uh, Inception. Like, yeah, but I, yeah, no, I'm, I, I liked it too, but I'm saying I feel like it works there because since it's a uh the world is new to ellen page's character so it's it's our window in it's not like i feel like the people and the characters in interstellar feel like they should be a little more prepared like they wouldn't you know have to necessarily spell it all out to each other yeah um which is you know and it's so saying like if the characters have been stronger in this movie I feel like we, uh, at least I know I would have been less harsh because it's like nobody remembers plots in movies. That's that's like the least thing you remember. You remember like the feeling you had when you watched it and the the characters and the, the certain scenes and images and actions and and you know when your movie doesn't have that and you're just focusing on plot, then it's just like well, of course we're not. It's gonna falter, See, and that's yeah. what I feel like in this movie. What they needed to do is Matthew McConaughey had to be the. Uh shoot his name just fell out of my head uh he, he had to be like the john cusack character and he basically gets on board the ship with murph as the earth is being destroyed and he is accidentally thrust onto that ship and he is actually just a <laughs> a space limo driver and his daughter is just a daughter so the the daughter is like why is things happening and then people have to explain to her in childlike logic why things are happening mm. and then it would all make sense True. That would it would also make a lot more sense why uh, he would be an Uber driver. Exactly. <laughs> because you see the other person, Doctor uh, Other Person in the movie. See, he took Lyft to the planet and it failed. So Michael Caine was just like, "What about Uber?" And then that you know happened, and then he's like, "By the time you've made it, I will have solved the next car company." I, I just realized <laughs> that I really wish there's a scene where Michael Caine is talking to Murph. And he's like, You are as precious to me as you were to your own mother and father. I swore to them that I would protect you, and I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Has anyone made a joke like a a Lexus commercial-like dialogue where Matthew McConaughey is driving the spaceship? (laughs) Oh, man, that'd be great. See, that's in the movie where him and Tars are just roaming around. He's just like, I've been driving a... I've been flying an Endurance since before it was cool. And it would be cool because, you know, since Nicholas Winding Refn directed those Lincoln ads, he could direct the movie. That that would be badass. I, I'd watch that movie. <laughs> I'm sure you would. Nicholas anyway, Winding think, Refn made a space movie. I think we're we're approaching Nolan's Law now, which is oh, the law no. that says that every Christopher Nolan movie, we're going to have like a two-hour episode. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, yeah, the, we, we've crossed over the event horizon of... <laughs> of an episode we can't escape it now it just it's gonna go on forever until it eats itself and then gets ejected as hawking's radiation uh event event horizon is a movie i like better too so speaking of laws would you like to hear a joke about murph that is computer science related or that is celebrity related or both 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 (laughs) all right 
Uh, the computer science one, which you may get, depending on if you know, is instead of Murph, they say, we named you more because you seem to be doubling in size every two years. Very nice. Um, <laughs> should be a good one. Uh, <laughs> the other one is, uh, we named you Murphy, which is the law that says that every talented person will eventually make a shitty space movie like The Adventures <laughs> of Pluto Nash <laughs> or like Interstellar. <laughs> That's also called the Nash Equilibrium, by the way. <laughs> nice. Totally works. Uh, I was trying to think if Brittany Murphy made a space movie, but I don't think she did. <laughs> I don't, eight light years? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, can we? Do you think we should just manage to not have a spoiler section? Maybe. Yeah, because we would just talk about who shows up in the middle of this movie and it's just distracting. And what their problem was and why they didn't just go like, hey. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, because it was I, I distracting. We yeah. We... As, almost as distracting as Anne Hathaway as a scientist. <laughs> What's wrong with Anne Hathaway as a scientist? I didn't believe her. I'm sorry. Just because mm. you, you only think of her as a cat burglar? No, it's just that like like her whole like space love you know monologue is just uh, that was bad. That was cringeworthy. Here's the thing too: is we 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 we're we're living. They the characters are living in a world in which like there's not like she doesn't have to be that great of a scientist. She just has to be the daughter of a scientist, and she has grown up around science, and she's willing to hop on a ship that might never come home. Like that that's the extent to which this program is evolved. Like Earth has reached a state where like we don't have our pick of the litter. People aren't fighting to be astronauts. You know, like there's there there isn't like, oh, we'll just like dip this hand our hand into the, the sea of people who would be love to be astronauts. It's like, well, we got these people. Hey, I have a daughter. She could learn science. Like Yeah. Plus well, I- I mean, I don't, I don't think Anne Hathaway is is a bad actor. I just, I don't know. It just, I, something about it the first time around, I just wasn't on board with it. But I was going to ask you, not to extend it any longer, but like, since you saw it a second time, like, did you have the same feeling or the second time around, or did you sort of warm up to some of it at least? I, I, the second time I felt that like, I, I bought more into the ambition of what Nolan was going for. Yeah. And I was I walked out of the theater less angry. Um and I, you know, I just sat back and tried to uh enjoy some of the emotional beats and um cuz I felt like I enjoyed like the certain sequences, like the the sequence where he's trying to redock while endurance is spinning. Like I think that's a great sequence. Yeah. Um and it's scored phenomenally and i thought that it you know uh seeing that again was really cool like some of the sequences played a little better but i mean but didn't I, didn't they feel I still like kinda, i still gravity, just walked out cold did, didn't you feel like gravity did it better and and i know that you can't really blame that because the scale at which movies like this are made it it probably wasn't derivative of gravity but i felt like i was watching something and i was just thinking of how much more i liked it a year ago when i watched the same thing yeah it, well i i felt gravity had a better wow factor for sure but i feel like if 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 gravity had the technical aspects of interstellar uh it would have been that would like because i like the i like this 
the look of this better than Gravity. Because I feel like even though Gravity looked amazing in a couple years time down the road, it's not going to look that amazing anymore. And I feel like Interstellar will still look the same. It's, it has like a more timeless feel. So. Well, I think it has a, a more oldy look mm-hmm. to it. It, it just looks right. I, it looks old like it has a classical look to it yeah but i mean i mean just it's it's not as like clean and digital looking as as like gravity is a very crisp like it looks like it was made in the future interstellar looks like it could have been made like several years ago yeah well i mean it was made in 2013 and interstellar looks like a movie that was made you know 10 15 years ago yeah or yeah. before that and i'm just but i'm just saying that that is the reason why i feel like 20 years down the line interstellar will still hold up and gravity won't because the technology will have changed well gravity is always pulling things down so it's not going to be holding well, anything you know, up i you know <laughs> that's just my opinion i mean that's why you look back on films like jurassic park and you're just like it still looks good is because it's not overrun with cgi yeah but that's why but I like, in that like movie a, evolution is a force instead of love true yeah <laughs> i i can definitely say that i i enjoyed the old visual style of this movie like it it really did feel like you were watching one of those big films like back in the day like i don't know an apollo 13 or close encounters of the third kind or 2001 like because it had that kind of realism isn't even the right word it it had that like thing that that I can't describe that feels like you're in for a great movie, which just made it all the more sad that I was not in for a great movie. Uh, that is sad. Well, I mean, because a lot of it was tactile, so you could it felt like it felt more like you were there. You know, that, that's another thing I want to say just real fast. So Regal's been showing this like Regal first look thing of Interstellar, and there's a scene in which Nolan is showing off this like weird little rig that he's had built to where he has like a a piece of wood with like three um points on it that are like little mini hydraulics and as he shifts the position of this piece of wood it rotates the entire set in like in the same exact fashion so he can one-to-one move this like scale sized spacecraft um for what i'm assuming is all of the um, there, there's several shots in the film where like, there's a camera mounted to the outside hole of the ship and yeah. you're just watching it. But I, I feel like I feel like that was a lot of money was spent and a lot of like engineering was created to design something whose shots which came from that device were not stellar. Like there, there's nothing there's there like they didn't I don't I don't even know what the point of any of those shots was like I just didn't like them. It's basically the space shot equivalent to the shot where when Matthew McConaughey is pulling away from his house and right. the camera is pickup yeah. truck. But like that pickup truck shot, like there, there's a lot of meaning there. Like just the the it being against there while he's leaving his family and there's like you know he's crying in his car and then you got that shot. And it's just like I'm leaving behind this wasteland to go to a. There's just a lot of stuff you can pull out of that scene. But like the the scenes of the ship where it's just rocking, going into an atmosphere and it's just going up and down in this weird static ish motion like i i don't know i it was wasted on me i I don't know well i mean most all those shots were like in full imax so i mean i guess it was to really show off the spectacle i guess i mean they it wasn't exactly mind-blowing or anything but i mean it looked cool but (laughs) 
I like the fact that it was like a you know an actual like ship, but you know, I think they I should know. have actually gone to space. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, they should have. No one could put his money where where his brain <laughs> is. <laughs> that'll be the next. That'll be the next step. <laughs> He'll pull a James Cameron. <laughs> James Cameron will be the first one to shoot actually in space of a whole movie. He's got to raise the bar, guys. Mm-hmm. I think Avatar Four is gonna be Avatar Four is gonna be that <laughs> in, way in actual space. Yeah, in like sixty frames per second or some bullshit. It's gonna be like one hundred twenty-eight by then, <laughs> right? Like he'll be like, "Oh, it's gotta be." It's like, whatever, dude. It's our. It's just blue cats. It already looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, should we wrap this up, guys? All right. All mm-hmm. right. All right. I thought you were gonna pull that one out. Uh, no, I, I'll let okay. that one to you. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, there was one more thought. I was going to bring it back to Fury. Um, oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> just real fast. We, we were talking about, in Fury, we had a quick conversation about, like, justifying all the killing at the end of the film. And, like, when you, when you realize you're going to die no matter what, you kind of are willing to just go all out and you don't care how the, like if you know that, that the only eventuality of your outcome would was likely going to be death, your decisions are just furthering whatever you're trying to do as opposed to like your own survival. And I think that it, that should have been what a lot of the stuff at the end of this film was, was accessing like a lot of this, like, Hey, at this point in time, there is no going back. So we can only go forward. And, like, there are too many characters who are always, like, there's supposed to be this big emotional significance to, like, backwards versus forwards or forwards versus backwards. And the only real conflict that we get towards the end of the film is the disagreement whether going back or going forward is important. And I never feel that, like, it's, I don't know, there's... That could open a whole can of worms. So <laughs> I, I think it's just sad that you whole have something that Fury did better than this movie. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, yeah, <laughs> I would not agree with that. Yeah. If there's one thing Interstellar did do, it was it did everything better than Fury. <laughs> Whatever that may be, I don't know. It, it did stopping off in a house and hooking up with a German girl better than Interstellar. I thought it was weird when they put that in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the ship is home. The endurance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let, okay. uh, sorry, sorry for the little digression. Let's actually end this episode. Um, let's get to our verdicts now. Carson, if you were going to give this a must-see, recommend with the caveat, wait for rental, pass with the caveat, or must avoid... What would you give it? Uh, well, I didn't have the same feeling, but I had a similar feeling, you know, uh, as I did with Star Trek Into Darkness, where it was like a, uh, it was such a back and forth between, you know, it looks great, it's it's at least got things propelling it along, but the story is just not... It's called a warp drive. Not happening, dude. Um, but I give it a must-see for ambition and creative uh level like the creative level in terms of the technical aspects and the uh Hans Zimmer score and uh some of the you know the the classical timeless feeling that I got at least with that um and also the fact that it is a watchable movie I mean you're just watching it for what it is um but I think execution wise it's more like a 
like a pass. Um, so I think I'm going to give it a wait for rental, but there's a caveat in that wait for rental and that you should still see it in the theater for sure. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give it a wait for rental. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't tell anyone I hated it. I just said that like I was cold on it. There's some things I warmed up to like the second time around for sure. Um, but it's not the movie that, uh, you know, we wanted it to be or that I wanted it to be. But, uh, you know, and it's kind of in that it's kind of in that that realm with some of these other sci fi movies of late. So, yeah, uh, I'm going way for I'm going in the middle on it. And uh, I know you guys were all wondering when it was going to come in. But uh, since Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in Inception and Dark Knight Rises and John Lithgow was in this movie, I really hope that French Stewart is in the next Christopher Nolan movie. Um, <laughs> Trying to get so, some third rock from the sun. Yeah, so there. There, there you go. <laughs> um, ha ha ha. But I really do hope that um, as much as you know, he's getting to make these big you know, big movies the way he wants to do them. I hope that at some point he goes back to doing like a smaller film like uh, The Prestige or Memento um, just to change it up. So mm-hmm. maybe he will, hopefully. I would I would like to see that too because I don't want his legacy to be films like this. <laughs> no, because I'm th- like, and you know, like I said, the more he... The more he reaches for the stars, I feel like the more it gets away from him. He just scales everything back to how he started. You know, I feel like they need to bring it back a little, you know, take it back to the roots. Kind of like how after Spider-Man 3, Sam Raimi's like, I'm going back to the roots. I'm making Drag Me to Hell. And that was the best thing he could have done. And I feel like, you know, in this in this instance, no Spider-Man 3, but I, I feel like it'd be cool if he's just like, I'm going to make a, another, you know, memento uh, level movie. Yes. Yes. Female version called Mementa. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. More creative than this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is or, not Carrie Ann Moss's character. <laughs> or, or as on par, I don't know. So anyway, I'm pretty much... I'm in almost the exact same boat as Carson. Um, my highs aren't quite as high for this film. Like, I, I would say on technical merit, if you were watching a movie only for that, I could understand having the like must-see sensation. Like this is a big movie. It's easily one of the biggest feeling movies that I've watched this year. Um, partly because of the IMAX and the score that overwhelms you, but also visually and in terms of ambition. Like the movie that he wanted to make was probably really really cool, um, but man, it <laughs> failed. It failed so hard in other ways. Like. The plot, if not must avoid, then the plot is at least a like very low pass <laughs> with a caveat. It, it it just really had these big moments that it just completely faltered in a way where I can't imagine leaving the theater with anything but a bad taste in my mouth. Um, so I've got to give it a, a pass. No. <sighs> Either a strong pass with a caveat or a very, very low wait for rental mainly because this is a very big movie that is worth seeing for no other reason than to have seen it and to have an opinion on it because i think it is going to inform like what nolan does from now on and it it is a big event 
and it's a big event that faltered a lot. But it, it's still probably worth seeing. So I, I'm going wait for rental in the end. And you should see it in theaters because I can't imagine it playing well on any other medium. <laughs> yeah. I, I, no, yeah. I, I want this film to do well enough that uh, Christopher Nolan still gets to make movies, but do not well enough that he doesn't make this mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, this when this film was, was um, in conception... I think that it was uh, staring up and wondering about its place in the stars. Uh, but unfortunately, when it got released, it just was sitting there worrying about its place in the dirt. Down in the dirt. Down in the mud. Um, yeah, mud. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, this, this, is, this is my moment to bring up Steven's line of this shows us why our rating system is broken. Um, because I do think there's aspects of this that you should go see this movie. Um, but I just, I really did not like it in a way that hurts me to say. Um, so yeah, I mean, quality, this is like, <laughs> we're talking past territory right here. Um, but like, I, like if, if, if everyone in the world told me it was terrible before it came out, I, nobody could have stopped me from saying it. Like I wanted to see it. I saw it again. I had told a buddy that I was going to go see it with him. And even though I like really disliked it i had no problem seeing it again because it is watchable it's it's a watchable movie um it's just an aggravating movie at times and i think once you've had the like i think the second viewing is much better than the first simply because like you don't care about all that stuff anymore because you've already got it out of your system you're like you're like no i get it this stuff is really aggravating but now i can just watch it and try to enjoy uh, little parts um well because you know what's coming you're not like oh yeah 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 it's it's like you're you're watching it in a three dimensional theater inside of a five dimensional <laughs> experience of watching the movie, <laughs> sure, <laughs> or something like that. So something something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, the algorithms you know came together. Yeah. So I I just I, it I mean I guess let's do what you guys are doing like wait for rental official rating but like see it in the theater but just don't place any hope of it being an amazing film so this is gonna be a, a really long parenthesis when you post this <laughs> in the landing page <laughs> no i'll just put like i'll just put a fake math from the board of uh michael kane <laughs> as like the ratings uh, i hope i hope my rating is papers plus eureka divided by throwing <laughs> equals space love because that is how you solve it yes but you know with, with all like quantum mechanics equations you have to have like some you have to have like gravity on both sides of the equation so it cancels yeah. itself out well i hope in jupiter ascending ch just like i solved it by popping and locking and then that's it that's how, <laughs> that's how it's done son uh he's, he's all... just like i see a lot of lawbreakers <laughs> out there well, that's that was mcconaughey's line but whatever or like they're, they're trying to rat or they're trying to reconcile gravity against quantum mechanics and uh, ch <laughs> just hops up on a chalkboard goes one particle of unitanium has a nuclear reaction with a flux capacitor carry the two changing its atomic isotoner into a radioactive spider <laughs> you science <laughs> and, <this drops>. yeah. <laughs> and then everything, yeah, it did. everything i like good. you know when Chris, christopher nolan was like i thought we had kate blanchett <laughs> <laughs> or I thought I had Cape Blanchett when I made this movie. Not anymore. But I'm uh, just glad they finally made a Space Ghost movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. All right. Well, 
that's the end of this episode. So, Carson, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, you can find me at uh, <clears throat> practicalcandy.wordpress.com. Steven? You can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or to find links to this podcast, <laughs> sdavidmiller.com. <laughs> You can find me over at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com. You can use the contact form on our website or you can leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. And I'm still disappointed that nobody left, left us that review um, that we asked for on iTunes um, in w- whatever other review that we did. Was that our John Wick review? I think it was the John Wick review. Okay. Oh, John Wick, yeah. Yeah, somebody owes us a, a what was it? Two in the head, one in the chest. Two in the chest, one in the head. They, they <laughs> two were some two sort in the head, one in the chest. I think. Yes, but no. I mean, in general, you guys should even even if you, if, even if you don't like us, but you still listen, you should give us an honest just comment. Just send us hate mail. Yeah, you know, I, I would take. Yeah. Well, I don't want hate mail, but I, w- I would take <laughs> constructive criticism mail. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, from from somebody other than my girlfriend, please. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> somebody out there, let us know that you're listening because. In space, no one can hear you stream. I, I guess, yeah. That <laughs> was almost as good as Chris T. for Nolan. Uh. <laughs> I don't even remember where T came in. Uh, that's not. That's that's not even a pun. Because uh, Steven, you said uh, gravity uh, or Mike's hard gravity that's or what something. I said. Yeah, All and right. then Steven said gravity bag. Mm-hmm. So yes. I had to throw in the, yeah. So I guess we're really, all in the gravity I, party now. I was re- I was really stretching for it. Kind of like how uh, is the tea fur because he didn't throw away the tea bag afterwards and it's growing some penicillin <laughs> on it now. <laughs> uh. right. I think so. Yeah. I think uh, I think we've reached a singularity and mm-hmm. we can no longer escape this review. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you're still with us and uh, we will see you next week with a review of something good ending <laughs>